Welcome in, everybody. This is Locked on Eagles, a Tuesday edition of the show. Thank you for joining us, as always. I'm Louis DiBiase, one of your co-hosts for the day, as well as my co-host, Gino Camilleri. And Gino, I was going to ask you how you were doing today, but you're probably feeling pretty good because about, I would say, 20 minutes before we went on air, the Eagles waived safety Anderson Deho, which means they're getting a fourth-round compensatory draft pick. And me and you have been saying all year that that was a move that they should make and they did it. Saturday was the deadline before they lose that comp pick if they kept Sandejo on the roster, and they did it today. So I'm feeling pretty good, and I'm sure you are too. Yeah, our Philadelphia Eagles fans love these these draft picks, and as much as we say that Howie Roseman can't draft, this fourth round is a pretty good round for Howie yep. Roseman and how it utilizes those picks. You, you hop on the tape today, which I'm pretty sure you and I both did. I just got done with it about an hour ago. Josh Sweat popped off the tape. Avante Maddox popped off the tape. And the thing about them is they were selected within five picks of each other in the 2018 draft in the fourth round, which you also use the fourth round pick to trade for Jordan Howard, who's currently your uh, leading rusher. And you also traded a fourth round pick to get Jannard Avery, who, if, if you looked at that tape, he was the fastest guy that they had. He was flying the around the field. He dude. was a lightning rod out there. It was great to see. And yeah, Howie now has another draft pick, and it's kind of funny, the six degrees of separation of, of comp picks. Jordan Matthews comes in for a visit today. Yep. That Sendejo pick, uh, pickup was originally going to cancel out Jordan Matthews and a whole bunch of behind-the-scenes stuff that, if you want to get a better insight, Jimmy Kemsky of the Philly Voice is the comp pick guy. He just tweeted out again, Eagles have 10 picks. Don't know how the comp pick thing works, really. It's week 10. You had to get them off by Saturday. So apparently, waving Sendejo was... Not just good for the team because his on-the-field performance was bad, and I think his lasting memory is allowing LeGarrette Blunt to run him over on our way to the Super Bowl in the NFC Championship game. But as for his tenure in Philadelphia, wasn't really memorable outside of that stupid, stupid, stupid hit on Mitch Trubisky on Sunday. Yeah, look, he will always be loved in Philadelphia. It's for the play that he didn't make in the NFC Championship game. This was an addition by subtraction, not only because you get that fourth-round pick and you have four-plus guys that you took in the fourth round or you used a fourth-round value on over the past two years, and they have produced on the field for you, specifically on defense. You know, you talked about Sweat and Avery yesterday, again, flying around the field in coverage, making open-field tackles, had that sack up the middle on Mitchell Trubisky. At the same time, Sendejo really just played his way off this roster. He had a nice interception against Minnesota. He had a sack against Atlanta Week 2. He did make some plays, but you can't keep that player just because you want to use three safeties when constantly, I feel like week after week, he's taking a stupid penalty because he's just going low, hitting with his head. I mean, he took his own player out on a stretcher week four against the Green Bay Packers. Avante Maddox missed an entire month because Sendejo was going for a late hit. And like you said, yesterday or on Sunday, he did the same thing. Trubisky wasn't just sliding. He had finished his slide and he was more so like trying to get up. And Sendejo comes firing in like a rocket with his hands down to his sides and hits him in the head. Like just for, for a veteran too, you cannot have that constantly happening over and over again, especially when you have a fourth round pick riding on it. So I thought it was a, it was the right move. Oh, absolutely. And I don't think it was a great omen when we saw Vernon Davis do what he did to them week one. Oh, that's that right. Redskins yeah. Game, and that was just kind of set the path for Andrew Sendejo. And you say that they love to play three safeties and we've seen that we saw it more in the Corey Graham days, 
But there were some things on tape today that were pretty interesting. They had four cornerbacks on the field for a decent amount of the time. And now yep. with Craven LeBlanc coming back, we talked about getting Avante on the field and using his optionality to either keep him in the slot or keep him back at safety. I think they're going to continue to explore that avenue, especially now that Sendejo is gone. And I can't see them wanting to bring in another safety. I just, I think they like what they have in the secondary. And now that everybody's healthy, I think they had those chess pieces in play to move guys around. And there were some times on tape today that I saw Jalen Mills was playing in the slot. Maddox was in the slot. He was out wide. Rasul Douglas was in there for a couple snaps. It was a good change-up mix that they threw out there at Mitch Trubisky. And if they can continue to do that and just work and work around the the skill sets that these guys have, like Avante is great at trailing in the slot and going against these shift gear guys. Jalen Mills has competed his butt off the last couple weeks. Uh, Ronald Darby, if you get him in the right situation, he looks okay and better than he did the past couple weeks. But still, they're they're better than what they were. They're going to continue to get better, and I think Craven LeBlanc coming back is going to be huge for them after the bye and just more optionality now that you don't have this unreliable player that you can win in spite of in Andrew Sandejo on the field, and you now have a young core that you can get meaningful minutes out of and see where they fit on the field. Hey, let's let's throw Rasul Douglas back at safety for a couple plays. Let, why not? Yeah, me and you are very pro-corner to safety. I think we are both in the, the mix of people that believe just get your most talented secondary players out there, and while it could be Rasul Douglas, I'd love to see them give an opportunity. Me and you have more so mentioned Devontae Maddox moving to safety and pushing Craven LeBlanc inside or Sidney Jones, and that's actually, I'm feeling good that that's probably the blueprint now that Sandejo is gone, because Dave Spadeo who is the official insider for the team. Normally when he says something, I listen because he's probably getting that from somebody on the on the team, the organization, that that might be the way they're going to go. And today he mentioned Avante Maddox can play safety. Craven LeBlanc is coming back soon. And he manned the nickel in the second half of last year and did it very well. So I've really wanted that all season long. I think getting your corners out there more than your safeties is the better way to go because after Jenkins and McLeod, just nobody was as talented as Razul or Avante or Craven. So, yeah, I don't know if it's Razul like you mentioned, if it's Maddox. Heck, even if it's Mills. Jalen Mills played some safety at LSU. He's played inside before. He did it last week. I'm just really happy that you're going to see more corners out there, and that's why it was it was cool seeing even on Sunday, like you said, I think the first drive, the first time they went into Dime, they had four corners out there. They pushed Mills and Avante inside, and they had uh, Razul Douglas on the outside with Ronald Darby. Mm-hmm. So I'm really excited to see that. I think I think those guys should be on the field way more than a player like Sandejo was. Oh, I totally agree, and I'd much rather have Avante Maddox's speed and his 4-3-ish skill set on the field at any given time over Andrew Sandejo. And oh, yeah. to even willfully take Maddox off the field for a player like Sandejo – is just completely asinine, and I'm glad that the organization addressed this and just got them out of town completely. And I like what they're doing at these positions, like the secondary, like defensive tackle, and I wonder if they're going to go that route with wide receiver outside of Jordan Matthews, which we'll talk about later. But at defensive tackle, they bring in two young guys, and Anthony Rush and Huggins, and I, I tweeted out a clip today of both of those guys. They both played well. They both have high motors. Huggins, man. If he wasn't around those three other guys at Clemson, he would have made some noise because he had a couple reps that were just like, why was this guy on a practice squad just a week ago? Because he was playing some big boy ball out there. So was Rush. Everybody looked good off the line. Tim Jernigan looked fast. 
Brandon Graham looked excellent. Fletcher Cox, holy crap, he played out of his he's mind. He's back. He's he's totally back. And I got this. This defense is looking up for once, and it was kind of a calming feeling when you saw them finally hold in the fourth quarter, not break like they did in 2018. And things are looking up, and they're only going to continue to get healthier at the right time with Craven LeBlanc coming back. So things are looking up for this defense. Was Huggins behind Wilkins and Lawrence? Like, was he on that Clemson defensive line the past couple of years? Yeah, he was like the oh, okay. other the other defense. Yeah, they were player. loaded, yeah. right? They had Farrell, they had Wilkins and Lawrence. Yeah, so no wonder. I mean, that. yeah, that's a, that's a player that could be pretty promising. Oh, for sure. He played big-time ball in college. I mean, he's part of a national championship run a couple times, and now you bring him here, and he played good minutes against the Bears. And going forward, you're not playing against the best offensive lines in football. I mean, Dallas is Dallas. I, I still think they're one of the most overrated offensive lines, but still you have to give them the respect. They're still in the top 10. But outside of that, you have the Giants, which you can get past. You have the Redskins, which you can get past. You have Miami, which, of course, you can get past. Seattle. One of their weaknesses forever has been their offensive line. Yes, it is. So I'm glad they brought these guys in and got them meaningful minutes because they're doing more in these snaps than Akeem Spence was doing for you. I I love what they're doing and bringing young guys in, even if it's just for this season, to be able to evaluate them moving forward. And if they're going to continue to get on the stat sheet like a guy like Jannard Avery and a guy like... uh, um. Why, why am I Huggins? Yeah, why I just drew a blank on the guy I was talking about for five minutes. But continue to do that and explore this, these young routes at corner because you're going to have to continue to get younger with this Carson Wentz contract coming up with veterans at other positions like I.E. Elshon Jeffrey starting to deteriorate. You're going to have to address these areas, and they've already started to do that. So we'll see where they go in the draft this year. But, yeah, man, that additional pick in the fourth round, which is bang on Howie territory, I'm glad they got another one, especially to get Sandejo off the field. And it's going to only add to the elements that they can bring in Avante Maddox. And hopefully, I, I wouldn't mind some either Jalen Mills or Rasul Douglas. Just throw some different formations out there and just make – just don't be Jim Schwartz's defense for a couple games. Just make yeah. it not easy for offenses to move the ball on you. Yeah, look, the Eagles got better today for the future with that fourth-round pick, and I think they get better on the field this year having someone like Avante Maddox at safety instead of Anderson Deho. So that's the news of Segment 1. Anderson Deho waived by the Philadelphia Eagles on this Tuesday. They will recoup a fourth-round compensatory pick in 2020. Coming up, Gino mentioned Alshon Jeffrey. I want to get into wide receiver because, like he said, Jordan Matthews is in Philadelphia for a physical and we got to get into it because Deshaun Jackson yesterday had, or this morning had surgery on his abdomen and the news yesterday of the day really was, and after I did the show, was Deshaun Jackson would not be coming back in a couple weeks against New England. He would more so be out for the 2019 season. So we got to get into some wide receiver talk coming up next right here on Lockdown Eagles. Louis DiBiase and Gino Camilleri joining you. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. Today's podcast is sponsored by Blue Chew. Guys, this isn't just for all of you out there who can't perform. It's for anyone who wants that extra function to enhance their performance in the bedroom. Listen up. It's Blue Chew. Blue like the color blue. It's prescribed online and shipped straight to your door in a discreet package so there's no in-person doctor visits, no waiting in the pharmacy, and best of all, none of that awkwardness. They're made in the USA, and since Blue Chew prepares and ships direct, they're cheaper than a pharmacy. Right now, we've got a special deal 
For our Locked On Eagles listeners, visit BlueChew.com and get your first shipment for free when you use our special promo code LOCKDOWN. Just pay $5 shipping. Again, that's B-L-U-E, BlueChew.com, promo code LOCKDOWN to try it for free. BlueChew is the better, cheaper, faster choice, and we thank them for sponsoring the Locked On Eagles podcast today. All right, everybody, this is Locked On Eagles. Thank you for tuning in wherever you are across the globe. We always appreciate our listeners tuning in to our four to six podcasts a week. That's why you got to make sure you're subscribed on any podcast provider or at LockedOnEagles.com. Gino, Deshaun Jackson had successful surgery today. He is out Four to six weeks is the timetable, but again, with these injuries, it's tricky. Ian Rappaport said that he's heard... Nobody really expects Deshaun Jackson to return in the 2019 season. If he did, it would be more so if the Eagles are on a playoff run, right? If they're in the wild card round or in the divisional round, maybe he would have a an opportunity to play here. My, my official stance on Deshaun Jackson is, and first off, as a fan, totally disappointed. I mean, this was the pro, this was the official Deshaun Jackson reunion podcast, I feel like, for two years. And we got a first glimpse of it week one, and he blew up for 154 yards and two touchdowns. It was almost like we went back in time and just kind of saw Deshaun Jackson one last time do it in a midnight green uniform. Not saying he's not going to be back next year, but to see that get taken away so quickly with how much that player would offer this offense... The, the impact he would have, to see it go away in just one week is really tough. But at the same time, I don't feel like we can... I, mean, I see people blaming the medical staff and the strength and conditioning. I'm skeptical of those those staffs. I'm skeptical of Doug Peterson and the way they discuss these injuries. I think that's an issue. They gave Jackson an unfair timetable on Monday saying he'd be back only then, you know, placing that expectation only then a couple hours later to say he's going to be out for the year. At the same time, this was Jackson's call uh, not to get surgery. And in hindsight, it would have been the right call. You know, you're never 100% until you get the surgery. Um, but rehab, you know, it's a tricky injury. Rehab, he could have been back in a couple weeks, or this was the uh, the risk. But look, Mac Collins had the same surgery, and he wasn't out for just four to six weeks. Me and you would joke all the time, does Mac Collins still exist? Because it kept him out for an entire still don't year. Know. Yeah, so yeah, right. We still don't know. So it's it's it was a tough call, but at the same time, I commend Deshaun Jackson for making this move because he was trying to get back out there for this team, and he was trying to win, and that shows the growth in him as a player on and off the field. For sure. I think this is more an indictment on the medical staff, more than it is Deshaun Jackson. I mean, they kind of gave him his his alternative, and I think he tried to work through it. And I think I think Adam Kaplan did a great job addressing this and saying that a younger Deshaun Jackson would have gotten that surgery, but this Deshaun Jackson wanted to play through it. And that goes into the character of who he is. And hey, it's unfortunate that it was a tear. Maybe they brought him back too early. Who knows? But they have to do something, and I'm, I'm glad we're talking about this because there are injuries that this plagued this organization. Jalen Mills, what the hell happened there? Matt Collins, was he even alive? Carson Wentz, all of a sudden he's got this back injury. They're, I, I feel bad for Doug Peterson because they put him in a tough spot when talking about this stuff because they do. he says all the time he's not a doctor. He isn't a doctor. He doesn't know this stuff, and there has to be more cohesion. And one, I think it looks bad, and I think players start to grow distrust in that area. But two, you have to now understand that the reliance you are having on these guys that are 32-year-old Deshaun Jacksons or Andrew Sandejos, they don't all hit like the 2017 guys did. You know, Not everybody's a Torrey Smith. Not everybody is a... Let's say LeGarrette Blunt. Not all your acquisitions are going to work. And in that, you have to 
look at these positions like a field stretching wide receiver and we just passed the trade deadline and you knew that this was a potential outcome of this Deshaun Jackson and you knew that you had the potential to cut Andrew Sandejo but what was your backup plan for both of those I mean we talk about the ideas of moving Maddox back to safety and hopefully J.J. Ortega-Whiteside can actually get scripted into the offense because now apparently he's cross-training at all three positions. I don't know what's going on, but you have to do a better job in being transparent with your team. And I think this is just another spot where there's just a a gray area between Doug, between the medical staff, and between the player. And I, I don't want to continue to see this trend, but you also have to know being Howie Roseman, that if there is a skeptical medical staff, that either one, you have to get rid of them, or two, you have to take precautions. So now we are sitting here after a very, very big and friendly wide receiver and safety draft where we drafted a guy that is was said to be cross-training for Elshon's position, but now they restructured Elshon's contract. So what is he really training for? We don't know. You missed out on a guy like me, Cole Hardman. You didn't draft one of these premier safeties, and now here you are talking about the same needs that we needed exactly a year ago I feel like we were just talking about how we wanted to draft a safety how we wanted to draft a wide receiver and yet again here we are so I think there is this kind of gray area that this Philadelphia Eagles not just the players not just the coaches but the organization as a whole needs to come together and address because these injuries man they drive not just us the fans crazy not just the media crazy but it has to drive you know Carson Wentz was going through hell last year in his mind, and I'm sure you saw Deshaun when he was talking in the media. He didn't look too pleased about the whole situation. I just think this is something that you have to nip it in the bud sooner rather than later, and I, I, we're still talking about these this freaking medical staff, man. It just drives me insane. Yeah, look, I don't think... Again, I think it was Deshaun Jackson's call not to get to surgery. The problem I have with the medical staff and with... The organization as a whole and their approach to injuries is the lack of communication. Because remember with Andy Reid, they would always bring out, I forget who his main guy was, but every single week they would update you on the injury status Mm -hmm. of players. And again, it it places an unfair expectation when you have Doug Peterson out here thinking Deshaun Jackson's going to play in two weeks, only to find out he finds out you know, a couple hours later, that he's out for the year. And that, that upsets fans. It makes players look bad. You remember uh, last year there were some reports that players were trying to seek second opinions because mm-hmm. there were all this all this miscommunication uh, and misdirection within the organization. So that, to me, is the bigger issue. I don't think it was that they were ill-advising Deshaun Jackson. I think it's more so that the communication has just got to change because what is sure. the what's the advantage? We all owe Emmanuel Acho an apology for yeah, going that's at right. him a couple of years ago when he did call this out, and now it has come to fruition, and we're sitting here again questioning this medical staff, and it's just I feel bad for Doug because you know the frustration he's when he's sitting in those press conferences and he's trying to answer these questions from Les Bowen and all. He's these got that other nervous laugh. <laughs> he, he doesn't. He he literally doesn't know what to say. He's not a doctor, and Andy Reid did it right when he was in Philly. And I, somebody I saw a tweet today, and I, I can't remember what the guy's name was, but they actually tweeted the doctor that was here during Andy Reid's tenure and said, hey, do you mind coming back to Philly? And he kind of He would bring out like it. a full like skeleton, like point to where the injury was and explain everything. He does that now with Kansas City. It's just, I don't understand why they don't want to be transparent. Yeah, no, it just drives me insane. And But the thing is, Howie has to kind of just be there and like know that this is a possibility. And Deshaun, 
he's when's the last time he played 16 games? I mean, it's been a while. He he's not as injury prone as people say, but he's still for somebody put it like this that I think it was maybe Gil Brandt or one of the old time NFL guys said that a player like Deshaun Jackson is like a Ferrari. When they run well, they run great, but if they're not fine tuned, they're gonna break down. That's a good way to put it, yeah. And that's what Deshaun Jackson is. That's what a Hollywood Brown is. That's what a guy like John Brown is. Tyreek Hill. We should have signed Lou. I don't. I know. I know. Visit that conversation, but also, wow. uh, Sorry. the Seahawks just waved Gary Jennings. Oh my goodness! Their fourth round pick in April. That is quite phenomenal. But uh, sorry, oh. getting back to what I was saying. Uh, yeah, that's that's shocking to me. The Seahawks do a bad job in their draft picks. We we need to we if we want to talk about a team that is bad at drafting, we need to talk about the Seattle Seahawks since the Legion of Boom. Yeah, they're they saved by their quarterback. <laughs> Let me ask you a question, Gino, real quick, um, because you mentioned Deshaun Jackson and again the Ferrari thing. I really like because. You don't know if you're going to always have him available, especially now that he's going on 32 years old. I put up a poll on Twitter yesterday, and I asked the fans, what part of the Eagles wide receiver situation do you struggle with the most without Deshaun Jackson? And the options were Jeffrey and Aguilar's bad play, not adding a wide receiver last week, or other rookies performing while Arthago Whiteside can't get on the field. 41% said Jeffrey and Aguilar's play. 33% said not adding a wide receiver last week. And 25% said other rookies playing better than J-Jaw. Where do you fall in those three choices? Well, you know I'm not going to go to the, the J-Jaw one. Well, that's I your guy. I understand J- that. <laughs> J-J is a, a subject of the Mike Grow inability to implement a player in his offense. And I think... If you were watching Monday Night Football yesterday, it was a great inclination of the play caller and the play designer that we have. Not play caller, play designer in Mike Groh. Because Golden Tate all of a sudden looks like a star in the Giants offense, and we couldn't figure out how to use him for weeks. And I feel bad for JJ because he's in the same exact predicament. I fall exactly where Doug Peterson falls, but not on Nelson Aguilar because I know that Nelson Aguilar isn't a good football player. I believe it falls on Alshon Jeffrey. One, because this team trusted you and they restructured your contract to keep you around for 2020, and now you're not playing like this number one receiver. I still believe Alshon is a very good receiver. I still believe he's a top 30 receiver. He has the skill set. He's just not playing like it. And I I don't know whatever it is, these drops have to stop. I trust Alshon Jeffrey. I just think the supporting cast that has surrounded him is just done him no favors because he's not a field-stretching wide receiver, number one. He can't do things like DeAndre Hopkins. He can't do things like Julio Jones. But he has a very, very unique skill set that works well in this Eagles offense. But when you have a guy around him in Nelson Aguilar and Matt Collins who are literally doing him no favors, there's a reason that he's not putting up his big numbers. He was shadowed by Fuller last week for a majority of the time. The week before, he was shadowed by Trey White. Those aren't easy assignments. But you do have to step up in big moments, and those moments when the ball is in your hand, that can happen. And getting into adding wide receiver last week, you know where I fall on the Robbie Anderson wheel. I believe he should have been here, especially if you're going to know that you're getting a fourth-round pick backed the next week in that comp pick that you got from Sandejo being waived. I just think you can get around what you have and you have gotten around what you have in Elshon Jeffrey. And that's my point. Yeah. I think yeah, they like, they've done this before. I, I right. don't think this is something new. They've fixed it in house before. And while 
again, me and you, I think, both agreed that they shouldn't have gave up a second-round pick for a rental player. Like, I would have been good with Robbie Anderson if you know you're getting that contract extension because he is a pending free agent in 2020. At the same time, I was saying, hey, how about a Robert Foster from Buffalo who had eight 30-plus yard plays last year with the Bills? How about you claim Josh Gordon this week? Just kick the tires on it. It's pretty much free production from a guy that before has been elite in the league, not for a while, but still he's making no money and he would have been for free. You wouldn't have had to give up anything. At the same time, those things were not going to save the Eagles. Golden Tate last year did not save the passing game. What did was Nelly and Jeffrey got hot down the stretch. And those two have not stepped up this year. Specifically Aguilar, like, you know, you said he's, you've always thought he's a bad player. And I I do agree that he's not someone, he's not lived up to the first round hype. But at the same time, the past two years, you have been able to rely on him as someone that has made plays down the field here and there. His, gotten hot in big-time moments down the stretch last year and in the playoffs in 2017, specifically the Super Bowl. And right now, you are not getting enough from either one. Elshon Jeffrey right now, he's on pace for 661 receiving yards. That would lead the team for wide receivers. That would be the lowest total to lead the Eagles in receiving yards since Todd Pinkston in 2003. So the fact that, look, I still think Elshon has made a lot of good plays this year, but he hasn't stepped up to the point where he's making up for Nelson Hagler being irrelevant, for Matt Collins being irrelevant, for Arthago Whiteside not to be able to get on the field. To me, of those three options, those two have been the most disappointing, and that's the thing that I've been dealing with the toughest is Alshon and Aguilar's play. Yeah, I totally understand, and you talked about when you listen, when Dave Spadaro talks, you usually listen, and there are some things that you can find in the things that he says that will say a lot about the team, and I, I also believe that about Adam Kaplan, and I mention his name all the time, and one thing that he mentioned that really echoed what I was saying to you is that this team works best in 12 personnel, and you really have to adapt to what works best for your team, so moving forward, if you want to work well, you run the ball and you pass out at 12 personnel. And I fully believe that that is what is going to happen and what has to happen because you look at that New England team that had Hernandez and Gronkowski. We talk about how much they dominated the middle of the field and how that team that in 2017 in the Super Bowl dominated the middle of the field against the Patriots. You have two guys there that can dominate. And I fully believe if you make that the center point of your offense, rather than trying to work it out wide, that now things will open up a little bit for Alshon Jeffrey. I mean, if they're going to go to Alshon Jeffrey's side and take a little protection away from the interior because when Goddard's on the field, he's only going to be a blocker. Yeah, things are going to get tricky. But if you get Goddard 10 targets a game, teams are going to have to account for that. I mean, you split 20 targets between Zach Ertz and Dallas Goddard. I really think defenses are going to shift how they defend you, and that's only going to help you in designing your plays and how how defenses respond to you. And I I think there is a lot of optionality in this offense, and I said it the other day that there are still six guys in this offense I would rather – well, now there's five because Deshaun's gone, so I can't really say that. But there's still five guys that I would get the ball to in this offense, and you can get creative. You can get Miles Sanders involved in the passing game. He's done it the entire year. Get Dale Scotter involved more. I really don't even think they've hit his floor on what he can be, and that's not even to mention what his ceiling could be. I still think he has a long way to develop, and he's still very good right now and can be a bigger part of this offense. And just continue to feed Alshon because he will step up and make plays, and you saw it on that third down in the fourth quarter when it mattered. Guys will step up. It's just you can't do what you did to J.J., and after one drop, you don't throw him the ball. If guys aren't working, continue to feed him. 
it'll work. Besides Nelson Aguilar, don't ever give him the ball. He stinks. I just I can't believe Aguilar has been this useless, Gino, because even in the games where he was making oh, huge mistakes against Atlanta, Detroit, he still had three touchdowns in those two games and 100 yards against the Lions. I... It just it mind boggles me that he has dropped off the face of the earth this bad. Like I understand that he's been bad for the, the majority of this season, but how after week three he just went from being a mistake prone player that's still making some plays to being like useless is crazy to me, and it's so disappointing. Yeah, it, it's just truly it, it stinks. I mean, you can't put it any other way because you pick up his his option and and they needed him for the speed just, without Deshaun. They, they needed him. Yeah, no, I totally understand, and he hasn't stepped up in that way, and we talked about a lot of these question mark positions, and will players step up, and you didn't think wide receiver was going to be a question mark, and now it is, and that's the thing. This team has the next man up mentality, and you see it at defensive tackle. Look at what Anthony Rush and what Albert Huggins and what uh, Hassan Ridgeway did when guys were out. They stepped up and played big-time ball. Look at what Andre Dillard has done this year excuse me, has stepped up and played big-time ball. Nelson Aguilar, in a contract year, a guy that doesn't have any money guaranteed to him in the year 2020, does not have a piece of paper that is signed saying that he will be on a team in 2020, is performing as badly as he is in a in a role that he should excel at. He's not the number one receiver, which Chip Kelly drafted him to be. He is actually in a number two receiver role, where he should in like have a fourth passing succeed, option, but he's role, a number three guy. Like, yeah. I mean, he's not even stepping up when it matters. It's just, it's so unbelievable that you have a guy that is a first round pick and he's now out of 70, no, out of 68, he is the worst player ranked in DVOA out of eligible receivers. That's so with 36 brutal. passes. He that's, oh is my gosh. bad. And look, Minus as for forty point three, yeah, yeah, so that's bad. that's bad. And look, as for Ortega Whiteside, I'm not someone that's willing to call a wide receiver a bust. Certainly after eight games, I think coaching has a lot to do with not giving Three him. He, he hasn't. He only had eight snaps against Chicago, and that's the most he's had in a long time. After that Atlanta game and Detroit game, they just did not rely on him anymore. PFF is not a fan of him. He's the lowest graded qualifying wide receiver. I still think he can make plays this year. The, the thing I struggle with is you were a big Arthago Whiteside guy. I liked him coming out of the draft, but players I liked more were the Nicole Hardmans of the world, even the Paris Campbells, which doesn't really say much, but, you know, a DK Metcalf who's making plays with Seattle. And I, I'm not saying that they took the wrong approach with drafting Arthago Whiteside. You shouldn't have went into the second round and just said, we need speed. I think an overall complete game, Arthago Whiteside, that pick made sense. It's just hard to see other guys that have all-around games that have that speed playing well, because they're going to need that now for the future. Aguilar is not that backup option without Deshaun Jackson here. He is one of the worst players this year at tracking the deep ball. No, to, uh, scratch that. He is the worst player to me in the NFL right now at tracking the deep ball. So they need that for the future. And they can bring that still in in the offseason through free agency or the draft. But, you know, they need speed really, really bad. And I hope we can bank on Aguilar for that this year but after that going forward I don't think Nelly's back next year unless they bring him in on like a prove it deal where he makes no, almost no he, money but they need no, they, they, they need there's no speed. way Nelson Aguilar after the way he has performed is going to be on this team next year there is not a chance in hell no way it's crazy I, I never thought he would revert back to this 2016 type of play but he has so what can the Eagles do 
there might be some help on the way in wide receiver Jordan Matthews. We'll talk about Matthews coming up next because he could be with the Eagles in maybe moments. Who knows? He is in Philadelphia right now getting a physical with the Eagles. This is Locked on Eagles. Louis DiBiase and Gino Camilleri. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back with segment three. All right, Eagles fans, we're wrapping up this Tuesday edition of Lockdown Eagles. Thank you for joining us. Today's final segment is brought to you by Peloton. Peloton is offering a limited-time offer. Get $100 off accessories when you purchase the Peloton bike and get a great cardio workout at home. Go to OnePeloton.com and use our promo code LOCKED. That's L-O-C-K-E-D to get started. Gino, Jordan Matthews could be the help on the way for the Eagles at wide receiver. He is in Philadelphia right now getting a physical. I think this was inevitable, right? I mean, the, the names Antonio Brown were mentioned and, uh, you know, J.J. Nelson, Mike Wallace, Torrey Smith, a lot of the former Eagles deep threats that they tried to rely on. Those were players mentioned. Um, but Jordan Matthews, I feel like, was inevitable. He knows the offense. He was productive last year. I think this was the move that they probably were always going to make, and it seems like they're on the verge of making that today. Yeah, so part of this is I have to go back to what you said about drafting J.J. and that the pick made sense. And it makes sense that the fact that he was considered a guy that you can throw in the slot and outside and can play all over the place. But then they came out with this nonsensical excuse that he's training behind Elshon and they can't get him in the offense. If you're going to bring in Jordan Matthews and scheme him in the offense over a guy like J.J., who you still have for three more years after this year, and who knows if you sign Jordan past this year. I don't want them wasting snaps on a guy like Jordan Matthews when they could get J.J. out there, but he will do better than Matt Collins. That's what I'm saying. I mean, I I don't see Matt Collins being anything more than a special teamer past this year. I think the team fully knows that, and Doug Peterson even said he was like the seventh option on most reads, so they're kind of inclined to, to play their hand with Matt Collins, but I do think Jordan will be a reliable guy. He's always worked well with Carson. He was Carson's first career touchdown, so we had this exact conversation last year saying that he will be an influential guy to bring on this team, and I think he's another guy that does well for the locker room. He's a high-character guy. will will step up in some big minutes, hopefully. I mean, we're we're here again, dude. It's like time is a flat circle once again, and we have Jordan Matthews probably coming on the way, and we have two op- another open roster spot after that. So, uh, did they they didn't uh, activate Craven yet? Did they? I don't because believe so, be but that's spot. yeah, that's going to be the spot um, for for Matthews. I was never a big fan of him as the top target that he won. I mean, he was the Eagles' number one wide receiver for two years. That's just that that can't happen if you're going to be an explosive offense. Mm-hmm. But as the fifth or sixth target, like he was last year, I'm in on that. Yes, I still want to see Arthago Whiteside get involved in this offense. He is a second round pick. You got to give him more opportunities to make plays. But for a team right now that's five and four trying to make a playoff run, you do need another option as your third wide receiver. You don't have to play Matthews now. When he comes in, that doesn't mean, oh, now you got to give him 12 targets a game. Last year you brought in Jordan Matthews, but Golden Tate came in. So if Arthago Whiteside starts making plays and he starts becoming reliable, you can put him in there over Matthews. But to have that option, just for me, I think gives the Eagles peace of mind that they have a third wide receiver mm-hmm. that they can target. He was actually, I thought, you know, he evolved pretty nicely last year. He was really a slot-dependent receiver for the first three years of his career with the Eagles. And overall, his entire career, he's been a slot-wide receiver. But last year, 
uh, Nelly was the one more so playing inside before they brought in Golden Tate, and I thought Matthews evolved nicely on the outside. He made plays down the field. He had a reception of 56 yards, of 37, of 31 in the regular season. He had a 37-yard touchdown in the divisional round against the Saints, the first touchdown of the game, so he made that huge uh, game-winning play, the the game-sealing play against Jacksonville and London. Uh, I actually thought he was better than Golden Tate last year, so I don't hate the move if they bring him in. Antonio Brown's the best move on the field, but again, he's so nuts that you never know what's going to happen with that. So I think Matthews did make the most sense, and I expect that to get done probably by the end of today. Yeah, I could see it coming up. They just put Deshaun on the IR, so this is like that little stretch when Howie makes moves like sporadically every other hour. He's just something he always does on a a Tuesday. (laughs) (laughs) But uh, yeah, so I I like the addition of Matthews. I think it'll be reliable, but I was talking about adding young guys like they did at DT, like they're doing at safety. I'd I'd start to look around at some of these practice squads. Anybody in mind? Terry Godwin, baby. Oh, that's your guy from Ohio State, right? on the Jags, man. Penny Hart is sitting there on Seattle's practice squad. There's some speed out there if they really want it. Who was the Syracuse player that you really liked? Oh, that? Jamal Custis. I tweeted about yeah, him. Yeah, yeah. Too I thought day. I saw He's you talking about him agent. yesterday. Yeah. He was cut by the Chiefs, man. There, there are options in young players that they can get in the building and just – Doing nothing is is not going to work. Anymore. Well, that's kind of what they got with Crave on LeBlanc last year, right? They got him off, I don't know, I mean, pretty much off the streets. He wasn't with the team, and look what he did for the Eagles down the stretch. Exactly, yeah. I think it was November. Uh, hey, remember, remember, remember the 5th of November for all you uh, Beaver <laughs> Vendetta fans out there. It was actually a year ago today that Crave on LeBlanc was claimed off of waivers, so guy like Gary Jennings just goes on waivers today. I'd put in a claim for him. He was picked in the fourth round for a reason. He's a, he was a nice ball player. There are options out there, Lou. It's just Jordan Matthews is kind of like the same old thing, but for a reason it kind of works, like putting the band back together. It makes a lot of sense. But explore some other options. Just get Matt Collins off the field. I mean, there's no reason to continue to give him reps to, quote, run nice routes because he's yeah, as long not as Max, really doing anything. <laughs> as long he's as Matt is gone. Well. He's not running routes well. He's not catching the ball He's not even on the stat sheet. We don't even know if he's alive. I still don't know if he's alive. It could be a ghost in his uniform on the field for all we know. <laughs> That's very true. As long as Matt Collins isn't out there, I think it's a significant upgrade, kind of like Andrew Sandejo, the same logic there. It's a Band-Aid move. It'll get you through right now. I think it gives you another option in the passing game that you need, especially considering the just inefficiency, or I shouldn't even say that, that's an uh, understatement of Nelson Aguilar's play. So they do need another wide receiver. It's not going to fix their long-term needs at the position, especially from a speed standpoint. But for right now, I think Jordan Matthews will come in and help this football team. But hey, to me still, Gino, I think my final thought is, I don't want it to be Jordan Matthews that helps this offense. I want it to be Alshon Jeffrey stepping up. I want Nelson Aguilar to at least show me some sort of life. And I want to see our second-round pick this year and J.J. Ortega-Whiteside make some plays. I still want to see the in-house players be the reason this offense turns it around, much like it was in 2018. Oh, I totally agree with you. And the sooner you get J.J. reps and get his confidence boosted, because right now it's probably in the gutter because the last lasting memory that he has is dropping a game-winning touchdown. So get him involved, even if it's some slants across the middle. He's a bigger body than Matt Collins. He can create better separation than Matt Collins. He has better hands than Matt Collins. Trust me, I saw him against Oregon last year. Just shut my dreams down on national television. The kid has it. 
Go watch his tape. There's a reason he was drafted in the second round, and I'm telling you, if he wasn't picked then, he would have been picked within the next 10 picks because that's exactly where we slated him to be picked. That's exactly where the NFL slated him to be picked, seeing that the Eagles picked him there over a guy like DK. So there's a reason that they pick him. There's a reason they picked Miles Sanders. Now get that other second-round pick involved, and you have the in-house talent. I, I still am confident in the talent on this roster. It's still better than a lot of rosters in the NFL. It just... Can you adapt like you did in 2018 to get your team in the right direction? Because that Chicago game, yes, it was a big win. It wasn't perfect. There's still things you have to fix, and now is the time to fix them when you have a bye going into arguably the biggest matchup of the year. Yep, you got the Patriots coming up in two weeks, so they have a bye week this week to figure all of this out. We'll keep you posted on what happens at wide receiver if Jordan Matthews does come in. We'll be back tomorrow on the podcast, so we will recap whatever Howie Roseman maybe does do on this Tuesday evening. For Gino Camilleri, I'm Louis DiBiase. That's going to do it for today's edition of Locked on Eagles. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast. If you could, leave us a rate and review. It's how we grow the show. We appreciate everyone that's done that for us throughout the year, and the conversation always continues on Twitter at Locked on Birds, at DBLCLOE, and at Gino underscore LOE. As always, thank you for downloading, thank you for listening, and let's go Birds! Fly, Eagles, fly.